I'm Alan Gregory. And I'm Dawn Stobart. And we are Pennywise Dreadful. As is traditional, uh, everyone's favourite part of the podcast, judging by our tweets. The content warning. Stephen King writes horror fiction and frequently explores the dark side of human nature. At times during the podcast, we will be discussing events that some listeners may find disturbing or even traumatising. So, long days and pleasant nights, Dr. Stobart. And may you have twice the number, Dr. Gregory. That should give you a little insight into this month's book, which is book one of the Dark Tower series, The Gunslinger. Indeed. Now, we're not going to spend the next seven podcasts going through uh, volume one to seven of the Dark Tower cycle, or in fact eight, because there's now the wind through the keyhole. But no, this is going to remain a chronological uh, exploration of King's fiction, so um, we'll be returning to the Dark Tower intermittently throughout our King trajectory, but and, this is where it begins. And I think it's important to say we're not going to be discussing the 2017 film in as much as it might be referenced, but we're not going to be talking about that particularly. No, no, I think when when you've got a text as sort of rich and uh, varied and... I'm not, I'm not sure what other superlatives I can use. Just as large yep. uh, and enormous in scope as this is. We'll have enough it on paper to discuss without uh, diversifying into a film, uh, potentially franchise. Yeah, no, uh, I absolutely agree and I think that's the right decision to make. We are talking about Stephen King's fiction, not the adaptations, because there are several different adaptations. I was reading Robin Firth's graphic novels for the Gunslinger yeah. series. And whilst they're very exciting and wonderful, I do think that we should keep them as separate to this podcast. Maybe at some point in the future we might address them. Yes. But I think we focus on Stephen King's writing. Indeed. That is not to say that if you wanted to tweet at us or you know, uh, contact us through email or talk to us about anything related to the that we may well be able to build your inquiries or questions, or thoughts, any thoughts you may have, so we would welcome those. Alan, I want to start with the eponymous thing for the Dark Tower Cycle. Um, I belong to several fan groups for the, the Dark Tower Cycle, and the number 19. Yes. Because that's a central facet of the Dark Tower, and the amount of people who um, link themselves with 19 is just amazing. I see um, social media posts constantly where somebody will say... 19, 19, I, the, the, I got bus number 19 and it, <laughs> and yeah. it's, you know, it's one of those things that has become eponymous with the Dark Tower cycle. And Stephen King himself does address that in his, the forward to my um, copy, which was rewritten in 2003. I don't know about your copy of the book. Um, my copy is the latest one because it says, see the motion picture mm. on the front of it does he have an introduction oh my god it even says and my 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 excitement is real that the biography in my copy of uh, the book says at the age of 19 yeah stephen king decided he would like to write an epic similar to the lord of the rings yep so that excitement is real and my, i make no apologies for it in uh, my um, copy the introduction is called on being 19 yeah so i think it's interesting that even then or even before you get to the body of the text, the, the sort of... the He's building a meta yeah. um, construct of the Dark Tower universe 
because the number 19 does appear in the novel itself, doesn't it? As well as yeah. in subsequent novels. Yeah. But the fact that he's sort of building that meta narrative in at such an early point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because I think he started writing this one in 1970. That would make sense. Well, if he was 19, when was he 19? He would have been 19 in... Uh, 60... 1967? Uh, 96, 90, yeah. 60, 66, 67, yeah. Mm. Well, he says, in 1967, I didn't have any idea what my kind of story might be, but that didn't matter. I felt positive I'd know it when it passed me on the street. So maybe it took shape in 1970 as a... Because yeah, the way... He, in the introduction I've got, he talks about how he has... A, once he's written a full draft, he kind of leaves it in a drawer yeah. to ferment for a while. Yeah. Before he sort of undertakes any form of editing. Yes. Uh, he doesn't really edit as he goes because he gets sort of self-conscious about uh, what his writing is, is up to. So maybe... That's what he meant by like 1917, sort of when it made the, the publisher's desk. Mm. But uh, the, the I think 1970 he was 22, so I think he had some of the ideas, didn't he, that he wanted to write this epic book when he was 19, but it took him till 1970 and watching the good, the bad, and the ugly to get the seeds of he wanted to write a big western <sighs> backdrop tale that was. Reminiscent of yeah, Tolkien. Yeah, so it, there is a lot of uh, genre merging in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are elements of the Western, most definitely. Oh gosh, uh, yes. I mean, we, we, we know, don't we? Because we've heard it a million times before that Clint Eastwood yeah. is the inspiration. Is, yeah, he's he's the uh, figure that Roland is sort of modelled on. Yeah, uh, but uh, you know my. Um, my introduction says that we've got Clint Eastwood, who's eighteen, appearing roughly eighteen week tall, but we've also got Lee Van Cleef, and I think there's a moulding of the two characters in the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. There. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But also, uh, it's interesting because you can see, despite the relevant, uh, relatively slim sort of slim nature of the text, mm-hmm. there is a, a sort of declaration of intent in terms of scale. So, yeah. which means that although this particular volume is very reminiscent of a West, because of the intent in terms of scale, you can see that it is kind of Tolkien-esque, the kind of scale he, he, want, he seems to appear to want to aspire to. There, there's a lot of information, considering it's sparseness when you look at between the difference between book one and book seven for yes. example it's tiny and um, what is there you know the, not very many pages 238 in my copy uh-huh. and you're looking at over a thousand in the dark tower aren't you yeah i i think that he he does mention in his foreword that they are very different even from even in the time between the gunslinger and the drawing of the three, mm-hmm. uh, the text is very different. Mm-hmm. I think that very much, and I think actually, the fact that they're not continuous in terms of because of the the inf- infrequent nature of their appearances in his chronology, and because they they're not. He hasn't done one volume followed by the next one, followed by the next one. Well, until he had uh, his accident, then he wrote, yeah. Yeah. But certainly, because of their infrequent appearances, 
or intermittent appearances and non-continuous appearances in his chronology. There, there is a bit of time for King's sort of personal narrative style to develop mm-hmm. and change. Yes. And it also means that it gives license for Roland's, the nature of Roland's journey to change. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of an important mirroring of the of the process. Mm-hmm. But I think that most of the information is here and it's expanded on in the subsequent books. The seeds are sown for the entire journey in this first book. Oh no, it absolutely. It is so densely filled with information. Yeah. yeah I, I, Do you think that makes it as pretentious as he thinks it is? <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't think so. I think when I first read it, I read the collected short stories version, and yeah. I didn't get the epic scale of what was to come particularly. Whereas now I'm going back and rereading it after having read the entire cycle, I can see. Did you read the it seeds. as a, a complete cycle? No, because they weren't published. Right. So I read one, two, and three all together. And I had first edition paperbacks and then lost them. Oh, with, no. with the il- colour illustrations. Oh. Yeah. But anyway. You have my sympathy. <laughs> uh, no, I wonder, because I always had that sense of scale with this. But that's because I did read them as a continuous no. cycle. Second year undergraduate me read nothing else for like two months. It's a good way to spend a summer, mm, actually. I can imagine. No, I, I read one, two, and three, and they're, you know, getting bigger, but they're still quite slim, aren't they? Yeah. And then there was a break, and I read four. And then there was a break, and I read five. And then there was a break, and I read six, and a break, and I read seven. But so. I, I do I do think, therefore, we've probably got very different reader, mm. reader experiences. Which is what I mean by when I read this, it was just a book by itself. It was a collection of short stories, so I didn't see the scope that I've seen this time. Because yeah. I know who Susan Del- Delgado is, for example, yes. now. She was just a name in a book. Yeah. And I know who Shimi is. And, you know, the references to the characters that are going to appear later. So even even when he's palavering with the man in black and he talks about the Lady of Shadows, that could yes. have been anybody when I first read it, but yeah. now she, ha- I, she has a definite identity now. Sure. But uh, the man in black, were you sort of aware of the parallels or well, sorry, the references to the stand and what, what it meant in terms of... Yes, because of... I'd read the stand several times. Okay. So I had... A glimmer that there was something going on there with the stand. Yeah. And that, you know, even though he's not called Randall Flaggers, he is Walter O'Dim and Martin and... But there was a definite recognition of that person. It was interesting because we were talking off off the record, if you like, uh, for one of a better phrase, about the the references to the poetry. Mm-hmm. And because of King's sort of awareness of his own place in the American literary culture and, and literary landscape, do you think maybe uh, because of the number of, of poetic references that we were talking about off, off the record, Walter Odin could maybe possibly be a reference to uh, what Whitman? Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, maybe it's because I've just, you know, <laughs> I've still got, you know, know Breaking Bad got... <laughs> fairly 
recently. We've got on, several on clear references, even in this first book, haven't we? We've got um, references to the Beatles, who aren't the greatest poets in the world. No. But that's a thread that's running through this book, the Hey Jude. Hey yes. Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. Remember to let her... And there is... Sorry, I've lost my place in my book. We've got Thomas Wolfe. And look, Homeward Angel, we've got a nice thing. But we've also got the, the Wastelands. Yeah. T.S. Eliot. I, I seem to remember, I can't remember who it was. I had a conversation with an academic at the IGA, I think, a few years ago, who claims that there is not a King novel in his bibliography that doesn't have a reference to T.S. Eliot mm-hmm. in it. I can believe that. Sorry, I should have kept off. But I didn't have enough evidence to sort of refute or sort of support that claim no. at the time. But well, I think King's quite open about being um, inspired by other things, isn't he? Absolutely. Um, I mean, if Child Roland to the Dark Tower came... Yes, indeed. That's... If, if, if anybody's going to deny... <laughs> well, you can't. You can't. I mean, that's fairly explicit as it goes. But also one that I... I was just re- I was reading this yesterday, ready to um, talk about it today. Yeah. And there's in page thirty nine of my copy of the book. Yes. Um, which is the point where there's a character Ali, and the man in black's been talking to her, and he's brought Nort back to life. He's resurrected Nort. Mm-hmm. And she says, "No, King writes." Ali watched them and felt a pang of fleeting despair for the sad times of this world. The loss. Things had stretched apart. There was no glue at the centre anymore. Somewhere, something was tottering, and when it fell, all would end. She'd never seen the ocean. Never would. And there's another... If that's not referencing W.B. Yeats' is The Second Coming. I don't know what is. I think it's a fairly uh, blatant... Things fall apart, the well, centre cannot hold, mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The two are very... The thing is, I'm not accusing King of plagiarism oh, in gosh, any way. Yeah. It's more, a, it's an homage. Yeah, yeah well, or even a pastiche to some extent. Yes. But the fact he's able to, I think that King at this point, I, I'm inclined to commend it for his ability to weave so many mm? different textual influences into one text I yeah. think it's very deftly done yeah. even at an early stage in his career I'd actually say that he does it less successful the older he gets but so I mean perhaps that sort of plays into why he, he feels like the gunslinger is so pretentious but it doesn't come across like that to me no I don't in, in that way I think I see him more of a solitary person rather than a pretentious person with an inability to socialise. Ah, so you're... So King has J. Alfred Prufrock. (laughs) (laughs) Another, if uh, King is such an avid reader of Eliot, then J. Alfred Prufrock would Mm. be the sort of... In fact, that gets referenced at some point in the cycle, so we'll get back to that. Yeah. So, Alan... um, there's lots of topics and themes that run throughout the book. We've, we've touched on a couple there. Yeah. But fundamentally, what do you think happened to create 
the in world, the out world, mid world, the various places that are served by the tower. In in what sense? In what? Well, we we find out throughout that there was a past, wasn't there? In this novel, they come across relics of the olden times, which, when I've been reading it, seem like our now times. Yeah. In quite a lot of things. Um, when he goes to the... When he finds Jake, for example. Jake is familiar with the water pump. It seems to be electric pump that works still. He talks about um, atomic batteries. Yes. And it's... And the, there's the um, railway. And there's a station. A subway type station. So there has been a functioning society at some point before everything's been ruined and they find somebody who's been gassed, don't they? Yes. So what do you think happened? I I am sort of inclined not to jump too far ahead in the chronology but to no. draw to draw comparisons with the uh, the various strings that are alluded to in eleven twenty two sixty three mm-hmm. and the uh, yellow card man and his the idea that several Streams of, of t- time streams are created uh, that can account for the presence of several different sort of worlds and existences and different technologies and yeah. things. And I, I don't know, but uh, I, I guess to, to put my uh, pedagogical hat on for, <laughs> for a moment and to deflect entirely from that pithy answer, am I... To put my teacher hat back on again for just a couple of seconds. Well, that's an interesting question, Don. What do you think? Well, I think, I think we can refer back to the stand. Yes. And I know that's going to come up later, but at the very beginning, and I'm trying to find the page in my book. So if you can hear me flipping pages, that's why. The man in black. I think. Somebody says that this world, o- the next world over, there's something in the next world over, which alludes to a many worlds theory. Yes. And I think that's something that we're going to come across. I guess that was the more technical term for what I was trying to get out <laughs> in my oh, multiple times. But then there's, there's the end where the palavering yes. in the Golgotha. Yes. And there's, he sees the beginning of the universe. Yeah. And he travels outwards and outwards and outwards and outwards. And I think there's something there we just... I haven't quite... Do you know what I mean? I haven't quite got it yet. Yeah, I think you're still further along the trajectory than me. I think I think there's, there's definitely... I can't say, I can't find it, but there's definitely a reference... To a many worlds theory. Yes. Which we can link back to Randall Flagg and the stand. Yes. Because Randall Flagg can jump in and out of spaces. Yes. And this is what Martin, Walter O'Dim, the man in black, whatever we're going to call him, he can also do that, can't he? Yeah. And time has the ability to pass very strangely in this novel. Yeah. Which is something that we're getting hints of from... Virtually the very beginning, he, you know, he's chasing the man in black across the desert and has been for two months at the very beginning. And the uh, the world, you see, 
there we go. There's right, page one, Alan. Coaches and bookers had followed it. The world had moved on since then. The, the world had emptied. Yeah. <clears throat> Anyways. Yeah, so... So I think there's <sighs> definitely... I think something has happened that has been apocalyptic of some description in this world that Roland lives in. Yeah. Whether that's been a war, which is alluded to throughout the text, in the past. You could argue that Roland is still sort of embarking on a sort of war of his own. It's like mm? There is an element of warfare in his pursuit. Oh, gosh, yes. But it's a very... It doesn't have the epic scale of of war as some people might define it. And there are sort of more internalised facets to it than, you know, it's not like... Uh, we're not sort of fighting on the beaches no, he, a la no, Churchill or No, but he's like the that. final gunslinger. He's the yes. last of his kind. And his kind... When I'm reading the text, I got the idea that they were almost like knights of the round table sort of people. The gunslingers. Yes. As a group. And he's the last of he's the last one. Yeah. No, I think there is an element of ye olde mm. English sort of Sir Gawain and the and the Green Knight and and yeah. sort of I mean that's Arthurian Ar- legend. Well Arthur Eld yes. is referenced and Jake says at one point, Oh just we've got a King Arthur, doesn't he? Yeah. So there is definitely a link there. But it's sort of I mean, because of the time travel element, and but also the uh, there's an element of science fiction in, mm. in this, and mm. so, so it adds to the spectrum of, of genre blending that's yep. going on seamlessly. I know that, say, James Egan, for example, really pushes the gothic western idea, but it go it goes far beyond that. Oh gosh, yes, it's uh, high fantasy. Yeah. You have the yeah. idea of the Merlin figure, the wizard, the sorcerer. And we've got the science fiction elements, time travel. I mean, are we supposed to see the man in black as kind of like a, I, I don't know, a, a, an anti-Merlin in terms of, or a, I don't know, if you look at it, if you're looking at it in terms of uh, the Lord of the Rings uh, illusions, are we talking like Sauron? If you if you could pick anybody to play to play uh, the Man in Black, would you pick Christopher Lee? And he's sort of no, I wouldn't pick Christopher Lee. I don't think. I think I'd maybe pick him to be the Crimson King. Ah yes, who oh, is awesome. I who is Lee. his boss effectively? Yeah, but yeah, no. but in terms of his sort of the sorcery and the. The wizard, but yeah, no, I think type. he's he's comparative to Merlin, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, I'm, it's been a long time since I read Arthurian legend, but I'm assuming there was a bad, not Morgan, the Fay, but there was a another one before her. It's been a while. It's been a while, but yeah, I would think that he's opposite, almost. I would have him down as yes. So what do you think of the themes, anyways, Alan? Do you think that King's written this when he's, what, 22? Yes. It's He says in the foreword it's a young man's book written by a young man. Yeah. But I think he's managed to mix up the different elements quite nicely so that they don't... 
they don't rub each other up the wrong way. Does that make sense? No. Uh, looking at me strangely. I'll edit I don't know. Maybe because I do read it as a young man's book. I can see the kind of... I, I can see the... I mean, maybe it was because I, when I first read it, I was 20. So I was kind of like the young man that he probably was marketing it for. So, you know, the idea of, you know, a quest and the idea of heroic masculinity is, and it plays, it hits all the sort of, it presses all the buttons of your average adolescent teenage or, you know, your average adolescent boy in terms of it's uh, playing to all of the male stereotypes yeah, no I agree to, uh, it's, it may seem a, a reductive way of looking at it and I apologise for any readers like, girls can read it too and I'm not saying they no. can't but I think that uh, King is probably still very much writing for himself yeah I mean we're talking about we're probably still talking about a King who is still very much fixated on writing for men's magazines mm-hmm. and so he's kind of and we're still sort of, we're talking in the ver- the very sort of the well the first book post Barkman, so mm-hmm. we're sort of fresh from an emer- a departure away from a writer or an alias that we have, have very pointedly said at various points during this podcast has written books that are very much marketed as books. Uh, for, you know about men for men yeah you know? yeah uh, it's that that old Stephen King can't write women yeah and that's something I want to come back to in just a moment or two. sure but no I think you're right and I did read them and you know I'm not a stereotypical girly girl but I can see where you're coming from absolutely it does fit into the idea of going off and exploring and it's not just exploring a landscape it's exploring for a man who doesn't like the idea of internal reminiscence he spends an awful lot of time internally reminiscing because it goes along with the loner type thing but he's exploring his internal landscape at the same time as we're exploring the external landscape aren't we yes so this it definitely is about exploring masculinity and what it is to be a male in the world that King's constructing yeah and I'm wondering whether because this is the thing as well you've got a guy who's I think one of the things that particularly fascinated me about Roland is part of his internal struggle. And this is what I mean about it being a book about war in several ways. It's very much a, an internal war yeah, it is. with himself. Yeah. In terms of, it's an identity crisis as much as anything because mm-hmm. he defines himself as a gunslinger and all of his reminiscences are about himself growing up with you know a quartet mm-hmm. of fellow gunslingers mm-hmm. and they're sort of and what it means to be part of a, a male collective mm-hmm. right so yep. the idea that he is now part of a male collective of one you know now entering Roland town population one mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that and also the idea of inheritance, like he still has his guns, the thing that define him as for who he is. Yeah. But they're his father's guns. Yeah. And so there's an idea of male inheritance the, that and way. And but they're his father's guns that have to be adapted. Yeah. So there's still a progression and an evolution in the character. We're still seeing that. Yeah. And that's part of the internal struggle that he's having. It's 
moving forward, isn't it? Still, it's how does he? So move it's the. Forward? I think that's the interesting. Like I don't know. There's the tectonic plate on which the novel turns in terms of the physical movement forward, mm-hmm. while simultaneously evoking a psychological step backward. Yeah. And the reflection that, that involves. Yeah. No, I agree. Well, talking about tectonic plates makes me sound pretentious, but it was the best way I could think, so... No, so to go to completely the other extreme... Yes. Women aren't treated very well in this book. No. At all. No. But in this case, you do wonder whether it's part of King's play with genre. Okay. Would you like to elaborate on that, then? No. <laughs> uh... I thought he sounded clever, and I was, I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt when I can, but maybe not. Uh, so we had a discussion uh, in Kingston at the symposium mm-hmm. in November. Which epic, by the way. Sorry. It was epic. Very much like the contents of, of this cycle we're about to embark upon, but yes. Where we sort of considered King's treatment of of race and mm-hmm. sort of in fact particularly going into the second volume of this cycle uh, you know the references to honky morphers and I should say that more emphatically but I can't you can't be a, no. you know, white and say that with any conviction whatsoever. you can't be white male and say that with any conviction really no uh, so I should you need to be a black woman called Odessa yeah Mm-hmm. So really, you just shouldn't say it. Stop. <laughs> so perhaps Anyways. we'll pretend I didn't say that. But I'm wondering whether so the and I suggested that his later fiction in terms of Mr. Mercedes and his treatment of Jerome and Mr. Mercedes. There's an element of like um, his when Jerome adopts the the persona of. Tyrone D. Light. Mm-hmm. There's an element of kind of knowingly. There's an element of self-awareness in the way that King employs that sort of stereotypical. Yeah, there uh, is uh, stereotypical speech patterns and all yeah. that sort of thing. I wonder if there's an element of that in his treatment of women in this text. Okay. In terms of he sets deliberately sets up to treat women in a certain way to emphasise. Or to create an environment in which the women that follow are then emphasised as particularly powerful and independent in their own right. Very possibly. I mean, what I was thinking was we have Susan Delgado, yes. who is almost an angel in this book. Yes. Isn't she? We don't get any particular details about her. That's to come in a different part of the cycle yeah but we do have Ali she's treated very sexually yes she's also not ridiculed but there's no secret made of the fact she's ugly she has a scar running across her face at some point in the text when she asks him for sex she says don't look at me I know how bad I look sort of a thing we have Sylvia Pittman Pitson who's the preacher and again that's she's she's portrayed as ugly she's fat she's not desirable um and there's some weird sexual overtones with her as well but they're all treated almost as victims i think well like i said i wonder if that's done deliberately yeah, to... no i think it is done deliberately 
we know Susan Delgado's a victim. It, it's not explicitly called out what happens to her, but we know it's not good. Is it? We know she meets a bad end. We do indeed know she meets a bad end. Um, Roland kills Ali. He shoots her. Yeah. And we have, and he he shoots Sylvia Pipson with his uh, gunslinger guns. And there's something dreadfully phallic. Well, yeah, it, it, it does seem to. It is about facilitating, or it, I would imagine that that Roland perceives it as such, a recoup of his masculine mm. subjectivity. Again, partly because he's lost his quartet and he is part of an, an individual, you know, a quartet of one. Mm-hmm. You know, he's previously been part of a bigger collective. Mm-hmm. So the only other female character that of note is the female demon. Yes. Um, and again, that's a female demon that's not treated very kindly by Roland. Should and any demon of any kind be treated with any kindness? And it's, there's also a sexual element to that. So this is telling me that women in this world of Roland's are treated as sexual objects. And yes. that's all that they're particularly good for. And yeah. <laughs> I, You see, I'd like to refute that, but I can't. Uh, I mean, that's not to say that that's the structure of the entire cycle, because as you've already said, there are some incredibly strong and powerful women going to appear later on. Indeed. And potentially this is a refutation of this, you know, that, that what is to come is going to refute this completely. Yeah, although it's kind of interesting that Susan Delgado remains on her pedestal still, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of... We, we've talked, you know, about Roland's sort of reflective nature. Mm-hmm. And she remains a haunting presence mm-hmm. throughout the cycle. So uh, the fact that she has the sort of passive, angelic type. And at the moment, so is his mother, to some extent. <sighs> Sigmund, go away. <laughs> uh, I mean, that, that comes up in this book, though, doesn't it? In this novel, he taught the, they talk about Oedipus. Susan explains to him about the Oedipus myth when he's in the when he's talking about his mother, and he says, "I can't remember exactly where it is, but he says at the end of a chapter, and Susan Delgado told him about the Oedipus myth, and that he yeah, there was something there." Um, to move off Freud then, because we don't want to talk about. Well, no, because I think the sexual element's quite a big deal, to be honest. Yes. And I think the portrayal of sex in this novel's a bit strange. I mean, considering we've decided it's a young man's book, and yes. let's let's be perfectly frank, well, that, young men that... and young women, that sex is a thing. But one of the that's things... just my interpretation, by the way. You could re- no, refute. But we have we have the book. demon wants sex from Roland yes. when we meet the demon. Ali wants sex from Roland, and she comes across. Uh, and said that I missed this the first time I read it when I was a much younger person. Uh-huh. But this time when I've read it, she comes across almost addicted, needing. And there's a there's a passage where the man in black's there, and it says about her hand moving down to her stomach, and then it says about her hand moving very quickly because she's aroused. That seems to be a very sexual intent to me. 
Oh no, I'm not going to do like that. And it struck me as a very strange thing because that's at the point where he's reanimating naught. Do you have uh, anything you'd like to unless, add? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess that it's an allusion to the female reproductive system and the ability for natural methods of creation. I don't know, because it, it struck me as a very strange thing that she appears to be doing some sort of masturbatory movement whilst the man in black's animating... I don't know. It just struck it's, me as a very. I would say it's a it's a metaphor for sexual intercourse, but that would just be. And very possibly, it just struck me as a strange. It seemed it didn't fit quite well. And then the same with Sylvia Pitson, when um, Roland. I don't know what he does with his gun. To, no, genuinely. <laughs> There's, there's a movement he makes with his gun and suddenly she's not bearing the seed of the man in black anymore. Ooh. Did you miss that? I did, yeah. <laughs> I can't help but think that I've probably benefited from missing out on that. <laughs> and it, it does seem like there's some sort of masturbatory thing with the gun. Yes, with, with uh, Roland's phallic implements. Yeah. yeah. That struck me as a, another very strange... So there does seem to be a very sexual overtone to this book that I hadn't noticed before. Do you ever th- I know we have a content warning for this podcast, but do you ever think we should like provide it with an 18 certificate or something like that? <laughs> no. That's no fun. Yeah, it's not fun. Um, to move off that then. No, no, you can continue <laughs> by all means. Uh, and, but what do you think? This is not necessarily the most wholesome of podcasts. I don't think we ever said it would be. So. Okay, we'll, 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 we'll move. We'll just acknowledge that it's a thing and see where if it crops up again later. Yes, if uh, our dear constant listeners would like to talk to us about sex, then please feel free to tweet us at, you know, at Pennywise Dread. The bit that upset me the most isn't sex. It's not masturbatory rape with guns. It's David the Hawk. Yes. And Roland using him as a weapon, knowing after befriending this animal to trust him, this old animal, sending it to its death so that he can be a man. Yeah, but that's kind of Roland's thing, isn't it? I mean, it kind of foregrounds what happened with poor Jake. It does, I agree. And I think that's the function. And I think that's the function, but that's the one bit that upset me more than anything. Yeah, but I guess that is that partly is that partly because we are invited up until that point to view Roland as is that because we we are supposed to view Roland or invited to view Roland as some kind of heroic figure and that kind of dashes his or you know well I don't know because it diminishes his heroic quality by sending out other people to his death because if you you know if you i think if you're looking a lot of people might perceive like true american heroism as uh, there being a sacrificial element to that okay uh but roland seems to decide to send everybody else out and to do his bidding instead and to die on his behalf do you see roland as a hero I would say that we are invited to view him as such i but don't. whether we re- i see that, him more as an anti-hero I think. All right. I, I think we're invited to view, or 
I think that his heroic qualities are showcased okay. in such a way that you could view him as such. Okay. But I don't think it's a cut and dry sort of. You know, it's not like the sort of Captain America with his. I don't know because what I mean is we get told all the way through that he's not very bright. He's a bit slow. He's a bit stupid. He's not as clever as Bert. He's not as... We do get told that quite a lot in the flashbacks, that he's not as bright and he's not as clever and he's a bit thick-witted. And But he uses his Second Amendment rights to, to the full, <laughs> full extent. He does. So I don't know. I, maybe I've just constructed an anti-hero because his heroic elements have been downplayed during his childhood, the childhood passages so much. I don't know. Maybe it's one of those that it vacillates between hero and anti-hero. I think that. Would we see Clint Eastwood in the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly as a hero? I don't know. I think because, but again, it's part of that. Because we've had this conversation as well. You can maybe view Roland as hero if you view the Man in Black as. Or in polar opposition, mm-hmm. right? But obviously, we've had this conversation about them being two sides of the same yep. coin. So, and that there's an element of sort of, I don't know, the prisoner about it in terms of they could both be one and the same. Yeah. No, I think I think that's before the film came out I had an idea of Roland and the man in black being played by the same character yeah. I thought that would be a really interesting thing and this is something that's flagged in this volume flagged <laughs> <laughs> did you see what I did there um, it's something that's you know he says you can't shoot me it'd be like shooting yourself yeah and that's something that, that King foregrounds to some extent in this volume so I think there is mileage in them being two sides of the same coin isn't there yes uh, so about Roland being heroic, I now completely changed my stance and look like a complete twat. But uh, you don't. But that's that's part of the different readings that we've had on it, though, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you've come f- you come from a masculinity study perspective as well, so you're seeing different elements of the text than I am. Anyway, so I'm seeing the fact that women are treated like crap, and are used as sexual objects and are treated sexually. Yeah. Because of my difference in reading things uh yeah i mean it's not that i don't see that but i think that i don't know i uh don't want to be painted as some kind of chauvinist pig i uh it's all right i'll make sure that comes out uh, please don't <laughs> no we know you're not a chauvinist so we've talked about um a lot of things so before we wrap up Alan, what is your opinion on religion in this book? I know King said about not being a particularly religious person, but I think that the gunslinger has a lot of religious elements in it. I think there's an exploration of religion and what religion is, and even even just references to things like the the money and their worship of the man Jesus, yes. for example, is a fairly obvious one. But I think there's a, quite a lot going on to do with religion. Well, I think that as much as uh, King has made clear his stance on religion, to adopt the stance that King has evidently taken in during the course of his entire bibliography, you have to have an awareness of religion's cultural capital. Yeah. Uh, 
particularly in America, to en- engage with it or challenge it in any way. Yeah. Uh, so even if you're not a devout believer, I think you have to be aware of its referential power uh, over swathes of the American and global populations. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think we've, we've got things like there will be water if God wills it. Um, yes. And we've got things like Sylvia Pitson is a preacher. Yes, first of many. The first of many, but and we have... Um, in one of the flashbacks, the one that struck me was the breaking of the bread underneath Hax's feet. Yes, would you like to say more about that? Not really, but um, <laughs> there, seem, there seem to be some... I'm not a religious person, I'm a Buddhist, um, and so I, I don't um, know a lot about um, Christian religion, Sure. but there's definitely something to do with the breaking of bread and the last meal of the condemned man and the symbolism of that with them breaking the bread and spreading it underneath Haxie's corpse after he's been hung. Yes. Isn't there? Yes. There was also the... Uh, I think it's deliberate that, uh, that King has chosen to name one of his figures Jake Chambers, who has the initials JC, which is, yep. I think is an allusion to Definitely. Jesus Christ. And we see that later on in King's um, bibliography as well, don't we, in The Green Mile, where we have another yes. character. Ah, yes, who's, John Coffey. Yeah. But um, what's interesting about Jake is Jake's a resurrected figure. He is killed by the man in black and returns to in-world. Yes, as a figure who has been dead and is resurrected and his initials are JC and then he is killed again, he is made a sacrifice of in the same way that Jesus in the Christian Bible is a sacrifice. Yes. You, you can't tell me that's not deliberate. I think that's most definitely, yeah. Absolutely. I think there's no... There can be very little doubt that that's a religious image that we're invited to see. So do you think that... Uh... The man in black has religious connotations. Yes, and I, I do. I think he has a religious... Co- I think we're going to see him crop up more and more in King's work, and he's generally the dark side of something, isn't he? But he also talks about... Um, when, he, when they're palavering at Golgotha, he talks about the fact that Roland needs to defeat somebody called Legion. And that is a deliberate reference to the devil, isn't it? Yes. We are legion. I'll take your word for it, but I'll say yes. Yeah, no. So, I, And I think the fact that he's claiming to know the devil... I would say it's more, more than a claim <laughs> for the man in black, I would say. But at this point in the text, we don't know that. But knowing what we know... <laughs> but yeah... No, I think there's definitely an exploration of religion going on here. And I think as we get further in, um, we're, we're going to... The, the tower stands at the centre of a nexus, which is constructed of 12, 12 disciples. Yes. So I think there is more to come for religion in the Dark Tower. Okay, in which case, actually, because this is the question I wanted to ask you then, in terms of religious connotations of the book. So we, we framed in terms of it being a... A, a very male-dominant text, mm-hmm. uh, or a, um, for want of a better phrase, male text. Yeah. Is it less of a quest and more of a pilgrimage to the Dark Tower? Hmm, that's interesting. No, I think it's a quest, 
but I'm not sold on that. Okay. I think there is potential for me to change my mind as we move towards the tower. I uh, think it's an obsession. Yes. Um, I think he at this point in the quest, he's not sure what he's searching for. Whereas if it was a pilgrimage, there is an end point. And at this point, he doesn't know what that is. Ah, so the nature of the quest, it might sort of mutate into a yeah. pilgrimage as we progress. Yes. And as we have hinted before, as Roland's journey changes. Yes. And as King's writing style goes along so with it. So I think if you ask me that question at the end of the drawing of the three, for example, I might have a different take. And I think that there's a distinct possibility that by the time we reach the end of book seven, I'll give you a completely different answer. Well, I look forward to the ever changing and mutating nature of your answers as we progress dr s all right right anyways um, i think but there will be time there will be water if god wills it even in the desert dr gregory so I think that's a we, good way to end <laughs> i think we should wrap up now because i've got to do things and we've been strapped for time um so next month we're gonna talk different seasons indeed we are been really looking forward to this since we started this uh, enterprise different seasons, seasons quartet are we going to do all four episodes uh, I would suggest that the richness of the text would dictate that we'd be better off doing it as a two-part podcast okay so in terms of addressing Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption and the body in one podcast and then apt pupil and breathing method in the second podcast. Okay. So next month, spring and summer. Yes, indeed. Hopefully it won't be raining outside and we can feel like it's spring and summer. If it's not, then we might do autumn and winter first. <laughs> yes. Um, and as usual, if you'd like to get in touch with us to tell us how wonderful we are or alternately how <laughs> bad we are, please feel free to email us at pennywisedread at gmail.com no no pennywise dreadful at gmail.com at pennywise dread for twitter for twitter yeah and the, the facebook is facebook.com forward slash pennywise dreadful and we'll see you next month long days and pleasant nights dr gregory and may you have twice the number dr stepmart